0: Oh, cheers for coming down for a, for a chat, John. Oh, it's good to be here. Um, awesome. So, uh, how did how did the talk go? Was it a receptive audience?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I'm, I was the first of three or four talks on artificial intelligence, so I sort of tried to set the framework and not talk too much about uh, about specifics that other people would cover.
0: We actually were just having a chat about it, and, and probably from the the angle of looking at how how machine learning and how AI is going to potentially impact, you know. Our, our children's lives going forward, um, both, I suppose, from a, um, you know, a career path in terms of, you know, jobs are going to change, but also on a more human level, I suppose. And um, I know you talked about a lot of the, the positives that potentially come out, but do, what do you see, what do you see the future looking like, you know, as a human and w- with computers and machines around us?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about the negatives, I can, I can definitely do that. I think, um, you know, I've, I've got a 12 week old baby, right? Oh, and, wow. uh, Congrats. Thank you. And already, you know, I find my wife and I talking to Alexa to put on nursery rhymes (laughs) and that kind of thing. Um, And if I look at my nephews, who are a few years older than him, they're talking just as confidently and just as happily with Alexa as they are with their parents. Um, And, you know, for us, I think talking to a machine and having it respond is kind of a novelty and we know it's not a real conversation. But you, yep. look, at, you look at a four-year-old talk to Alexa, mm. they don't realize that that's not a human they're talking to. And so sure. kind of, the, I think the implications of that um, are really are really interesting. Another negative, just while we're, you know, now that I've got yeah. into this kind of mood, <laughs> um, there's been some really interesting stuff done with computer vision in video recently. Okay. And so putting, for example, putting other people's faces on videos and putting other yeah, people's yeah, voices sure. on videos, yep. Um, which, you know, is usually used for fun and comedy. But when that's done and it's, you know, Obama talking about something to do with Muslims or it's, you know, a celebrity with a porn star, you know, you can get some real ethical questions there. So I I think we've got to be careful.
0: And on that, and what we we're talking about, I suppose, is, you know, this need for critical thinking, right? So uh, I think the way a four-year-old talks to Alexa is the way a 17-year-old will go to Google and find information, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever pops up first is probably what they're going to look at and not sort of, you know, critically assess, is that you know, is that information correct or just pulling it from Wikipedia or whatever it might be, um, can take you down kind of scary paths. So you look at, you know, a Brexit or, or something like this, you know, if, if we can... Well, people can always be manipulated, but it's it's becoming easier because we lock ourselves in these echo chambers, and, and we're not sort of fact checking. I suppose.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And and even I mean, fact checking I think is important, but even just the way in which we search is changing. Mm. So if you think about if you think about historically, you know, the the, the search environment we grow up in, um, historical search engines through Google, we're used to sort of riffling through yeah. multiple pages, looking at different sources, kind of getting different perspectives. If the world moves away from the keyboard which it's doing yep. and it kind of makes no sense actually that you know we're still using the same QWERTY interface we've been using for 60 70 years yeah as the world moves away from the keyboard into voice as the primary form of interaction yep. you lose exposure to multiple different answers to a question yep. you, you get curation kind of has its benefits in efficiency but it also has Detriments in terms of it, just exposure to different opinions,
0: and, and Alexa's. I'm a fan of Alexa. I think you know, from the get-go, it's been the best kind of uh, system out there in terms of actually providing you know answers very quickly. But you're right, like you know, w- you know what colors are a parakeet or whatever you ask the question, you know mm-hmm. that that information is is obviously being curated. But you know, again, in the wrong hands, or it just it can become something that is potentially not good for not good for human growth. Yeah. Um, especially in the wrong hands, I suppose. Like all, the, all these things are, are brilliant until they're kind of abused, though, as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so in your, in your role, sort of, are you dealing with AI a lot? Or what, what's your sort of day-to-day look like?
1: Yeah. I, so I, I'm a partner at Airtree. We are a venture fund um, trying to back Australia's best founders. Yep. Um, a lot of the more recent investments that we've made that I've been involved in uh, have machine learning in some way or another. One of the ones I just spoke about up on stage is a business called Meta Optima. Okay, they use computer vision to diagnose melanoma. Wow. So essentially, they take um, they take photos from a skin clinic of you know moles on your body and then they can tell you with significantly higher accuracy than a skin clinician or a dermatologist whether or not you have melanoma mm. um, and, and the reason that's important is a fewfold like the diagnostics is kind of obviously cool and, and leads to great outcomes but melanoma is this really interesting thing where the average skin clinician in Australia when they say that you should have a mole cutout 19 out of 20 times it won't be melanoma.
0: Sure, it's just but prevented this. Exactly,
1: what, but the the risk of them getting it wrong is such that they'll always err on the side of caution, yeah. having a hearing chopped out. Mm. Even the best dermatologists in the country, it's kind of four out of five false okay. positives. Huh. And so, and so, you know, there's a benefit to just getting better at diagnostics, but there's also a significant benefit to just not getting things chopped out of you all yeah. the time unnecessarily. So it's, it's uh, cost
0: saving as well. Mm. Mm. One of the the ethical concerns I, I've read some <laughs> stuff around, you know, surgery and you know that the, the there's certain things that that machine learning and, and the systems and you know machines are going to be able to do so much better. Self-driving cars is a good example, right? Yeah. Um, people have this huge fear, thinking, oh, you know, they're going to crash. They're, you know, all the science has shown that at the end of the day, an algorithm and cameras can can do a better job of assessing you know uh, potential hazards in the road and, and navigating something like driving a car. But then humans can.
1: Yeah. Humans
0: are, are fallible, right?
1: Well, there's two things there. Um, so self-driving cars are already better drivers than humans. Mm. Uh, they will have accidents, but they'll have far fewer accidents yeah. than humans, right? So there's kind of a there's a question there about whether you're happy to accept some accidents yeah. from self-driving cars or not. And then if you are, there's this question about explainability. Yeah. So we seem to have this real objection to a machine making a mistake without being able to kind of back-propagate and figure out why it made the yeah. mistake. Yeah. And one of the problems with machine learning is the nature of neural nets is it's really hard to um, retrospectively figure out what they did. Sure. But when you crash your car and I come and find you later and you've kind of been knocked out and you don't know what happened, you don't know why you crashed your car either. Huh. So, so it's. It, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong or right, but it just seems strange to me that we hold machines to such a higher standard than humans.
0: Mm. And is it is it just a, is it like hubris? Is it humans just you know? Th- we we put ourselves on the pedestal. I mean, if you look at road deaths, as one of the I think highest you know reasons for mm. mortality in across the you know the whole world. If that could be reduced by a significant number, why wouldn't you want to do that? Or or you know any other things that the machines can potentially jump in and, and help with. Um, but I think you'll find that humans do. Yeah, they they point the finger at machines very quickly. Like it, it's like people yelling at Siri and you know Alexa yeah. when things get wrong. You know, it's a, it's a wanting it to be perfect every single time.
1: Mm. The other thing that's interesting about self-driving cars is the self-driving car companies actually have to solve a much harder problem because there's human drivers on the road. Yeah, 100%. So if you could could just take all human drivers away and put all self-driving cars on the road, there'd be a mesh network. They'd all talk to each other. You wouldn't need traffic lights. You wouldn't need parking spots. Yeah. And it'd be a significantly better societal outcome. But because we can't get there and because you have to regulate to allow for humans – Self-driving cars actually need to be significantly better to get on the road now than they would be if you didn't have human drivers at all, yeah. which, are, again, you know, it is what it is, but I think it's interesting.
0: Where do you see that, like, looking forward into the future, like, how, how, how different is the...
1: Well, let, let's go
0: back to, to keyboards. Do you, do you think voice is going to become something that's, you know, day-to-day in the next five years, ten years? Is, are, we go, are we going to move away from, from screens in our hands and from and these kind of devices?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, if you'd sat me down five or ten years ago, I would have said yes, yeah. and, and I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. Um, I think every signal is that we're still going in that direction, whether it be you know, smart watches, um, devices in your home, devices in your car, mm. just generally Internet of Things, um, yeah. says that more devices are connected, more devices are smart, and there are fewer kind of keyboard inputs for us. Um, the time horizons on which we don't have a keyboard for most of our interactions... Everyone's got wrong for the last 15 years, so, <laughs> so I'm not going to put a number on it.
0: Do you... I mean, what's your sort of um, technology diet like? Are you are you heavy? You know, do you use your phone a lot? Do you find you go home and, and want to get away from it? Like, how has that sort of changed for you, obviously being kind of in an industry where you're inundated with it?
1: Yeah, I, I aspirationally want to get away from it, but I never do. Me too. I've, um, <laughs> that's,
0: I think that's how I would say it as well. I've,
1: I've foolishly enabled... Um, whatever that setting on iOS 12 is that shows you your screen yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm never going to show it to anyone because it's <laughs> embarrassing.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were comparing the other day. Um, it, it is one of those things, though, because it, it has... You know, it's, it's happened quickly, right? Like, the last 10 years, things have changed quite dramatically in terms of sort of how we, how we consume media, how we, how we interact, um, and just what we do with our time, especially around these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting sort of taking a step back and looking sort of going, wow, this is actually have, has happened very, very quickly. I think people like us that grew up without it have a little bit more perspective, but we are talking, you know, you're, you're a 12-week-old uh, child that's going to grow up, this is the norm, right? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and uh, as I think about kind of how to educate him, mm. you see parents of toddlers, you know, pacifying them with the phone. Yeah. Um, and, and my wife and I are doing everything we can to keep him away from screens and show him books. Uh, and And I think... I think intuitively that's probably the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder, you know, if it's inevitability that he lives in a world of screens um, and of technology, are you disadvantaging them by not giving them access to it early? I, I don't do it, but
0: I don't know. And is that kind of our legacy? You know, mm. of, of how we grew up. And, and I, I think I sort of was, we started touching on it just before, but. You know, is that's just the future that's the that that's that's the way it is and it starts kind of grasping back to a you know something that may not exist anymore um it's it's interesting it, it, and it, I think it's definitely going to change humans you know to an extent and especially once we look forward to sort of you know integrating technology with us and um, which is obviously already happening um and AI getting Stronger and smarter, and more integrated into everyday lives.
1: Well, and there's companies now working on brain-computer interfaces, yeah. right? So you know, you can go one step further from the device in your pocket to the device implanted into your head. Mm. Um, a- and the ethical questions that follow from that around decision making and kind of choice, uh, I think, are really interesting.
0: And there's a, I think, the, the ethics around it are, are, are going to be big decisions that are going to have to be made in the future. But I feel like everything's moving so quickly that you know, we're already sort of behind the curve on, on how to make them. And who makes those decisions anyway? Is it up to the individual? Is it what government's involved? How, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a brave new world. It's exciting, though.
1: Yeah, and there's, um, there's another question around whether Western democracies are the best place to push us forward. Yeah, sure. So we talk a lot internally about... Um, well, about privacy and health is a good example, right? Yep. So there's this big debate in Australia around um, the My Health records yep. and whether you should give up your data for My Health. The, the flip side of that that I put to people sometimes, to privacy advocates um, who you know, refuse to put their data forward, there will be a whole bunch of fundamental health research done on that data. Yep. And if you're not willing to contribute your data into the pool, is it right that you benefit from the treatments that come out of that research? Oh. Yeah, and I think I think in places like China where it's not an issue and not voluntary, then they'll they'll progress faster than us. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I do. While I have sympathy for privacy, I also kind of I feel like if if progress is made and you've you've deliberately not contributed towards it, then I you know query whether you should take advantage of it.
0: Mm. And it's. I, 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 I don't know where I sit on that because I, I think that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I think it, it does come down to China's a good example because you basically have to, you know, you have, you have, you have to give that data up. Um, but, uh, you know, if whatever in the West, the totalitarian government comes in, and it, you know, that, that data is in the wrong hands or can be used against you. Well, or not, maybe not so much the health, but, you know, something like even just like your Facebook account. Hmm. Um, you know, if you had a, you know, a Mussolini or Hitler yeah. coming about and you could just stroll through and sort of say, like, right, we're labelling you as ex-dissident it's uh, that stuff comes, becomes frightening. Yeah. I don't think any of us really have any idea, of, you know, how to treat cybersecurity, and you know, uh, we're all pretty much, uh, you know, very insecure um, online.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a live issue right now, right? Like the Department of Home Affairs is trying to crack down on encryption and messaging today, yeah, um, because criminals and terrorists communicate with encrypted messaging apps, um, and so there's, you know, there's a broader privacy question around if you break encryption for specific use cases whether it be terrorism or otherwise Mm. you open that up you open up messaging to the rest of the world um i think it's kind of flawed because people who want to subvert the system will always find a way and so you know you crack one type of encryption they'll go to another app yeah but um but that will be an ongoing conversation
0: Mm. hmm it's exciting have have you had much to do with the ecosystem startup ecosystem in in south australia and um, investments down here
1: we haven't yet made a South Australian investment, we've come close on a couple, okay. um, but we're here every three or four months, uh, we're really actively looking. I mean, there's a bunch of great companies presenting today, um, which you know, are indicative of, of, I think, a flourishing ecosystem, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about South Australia.
0: How long have you been sort of, uh, in the industry for us? This, this been your career? Or you been?
1: Yeah, I've been in venture since 2013, okay. and then in technology companies prior to that.
0: How has the Australian ecosystem changed in, in those in those sort of six seven years?
1: Well, I've only been in Australia in venture since 2016.
0: Okay, sure. Um, You're in the states, or uh,
1: split between New York and London. Now. Nice. So even anecdotally, though, in the two and a half years that I've been here, I think there's now 37 or so registered um, early-stage venture capital limited partnerships, which is this tax structure for venture funds. Okay, and that's up from I don't know, half a dozen or something yeah. when I landed. So, you know, I think capital is flowing in, which is probably a kind of lagging indicator of companies being created. So it's, it seems like a lot's happening.
0: Do you think that the uh, investment is becoming less conservative as as we get more more investment you know, companies into the country? Because that's obviously something historically that people have said a lot about investment in Australia, risk averse.
1: Yeah, uh, anecdotally, yes. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in the industry when everyone complained about it. So, uh, <laughs> But, you know, my partners, Craig and Daniel, had two successful venture funds in Australia. Um, one called E-Corp, which invested sort of late 90s, early 2000s, and another which invested mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. And both of those funds, I mean, those funds had, I think, 18 exits between them. They returned four times cash on cash, so nice. which is sort of a top decile venture return. Yeah. And, so, and so I worry that this narrative that, um, venture in Australia has always been horrific and and that the technology industry you know hasn't had local support I, I think there's concrete examples that that's not the case okay it, it, I don't think obviously it's better now than it was but I don't think it was as awful as uh, as some people make up interesting
0: so how long were you in New York and London for six years yeah nice enjoy your time yeah it was fantastic yeah so what what, what so that was pre-2013
1: uh, no, that was up to
0: 2016. Oh, cool. I was over in London for um, six years in late tw- oh, 2006 to 11. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: Got out before Brexit. Well done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful city, though. Good mm. fun. Yeah, spectacular. My wife's from New York, so I spent, spent time in both. yeah. Yeah, cool. Oh, thanks so much for the chat. Pleasure. Awesome having you on. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of the day. Get out for a few drinks tonight at the after party? Or? Yeah, I'll see you on Peel Street. Sounds great. Cheers, mate.